Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's build y'all. Real estate experiment, what is happening y'all? Today we got AJ Rambler in the building. Tell us where you are from, AJ. Where are you, where are you dialing in from today? The, the, the sure, south? I'm from uh, Dallas, Texas, Oak Cliff. Uh, oh man yeah that's awesome man welcome welcome to the lab hey, man we have to have uh, you in the lab yeah it's uh 70 degrees today in january so for all you people up in the cold come on down dallas is the place to be oh man i'm, I'm telling you i was just out in um you know, i'm based out of georgia and i'm between the, the east coast and georgia and it's it's just it's just wonderful to be out there in a the nice weather man oh yeah i'm um, sitting on a patio today yes sir yes sir um just real quick uh so I want to get right into the background, right? The the whole, you know, who is AJ? Because I, I watch your stuff and I, I think you're doing such a great job of, of uh, communicating with the community, um, you know, what you're about. And most importantly, what you're doing, you're providing a lot of value. And I want to just take a step back into, I, I, I think it's always fascinating to find out, you know, where did people get started in real estate? Where did they get started as an individual? So I like knowing the person behind the business because it's a people's people's business so why don't you yeah. tell us who uh was um aj in the beginning uh sure. of building what you're building which is as precious and then who are you now yeah so um i knew from a fairly young age actually that i wanted to do real estate i didn't know what really what real estate was when i was uh, a child obviously but i actually have a goal a goal sheet from when i was like 14 it's like i want to be a realtor with Ebby Holiday, who's this big real estate agency in, in Dallas. Now I'd probably be a little embarrassed to work for him. But anyway, back then I knew at least something. I was like, I like this real estate thing. I like working with my hands. I wanted to be a carpenter a little bit. So I was kind of in that, that mojo and uh, graduated high school and uh, went to college and majored in real estate and finance. Barely. I mean, I've barely passed got out of college alive i was on academic probation school was horrible for me they basically pushed me through high school um but managed to slip by somehow uh so that was 2012 when i graduated okay graduated and then i got married also actually still in college i got married um so i graduated and um i knew I guess intuitively, because this is kind of before bigger pockets kind of had the whole house hacking movement and all that stuff. But I knew intuitively, like, look, I can go buy a fourplex and live in one of them. And that's going to work for me. And I can live there for free. So I, bigger pockets existed, but not as a podcast yet. So that was 2012. I've, um, and we put that quadplex under contract and um, purchased that, closed on that in January of 2013, which was actually the first, the first Bigger Pockets podcast came out in January 13. So it was good time. And that kind I of, I kind of grew up with that, uh, you know, listening to them and they helped me a lot through that process. So I still encourage people to, whenever people reach out to me, ask me a bunch of questions. I'm like, go listen to like Man. You know, 30, 40 podcasts, then call me and I'll, exactly. I'll talk to you all day long, but go listen it, to, there's so many good podcasts out there now, you know, it, it, people do themselves a disservice to not take the time to listen to them. 
Yeah. So let me just do a little quick recap because you said you you started with a, with a with a with a quad, right? Yeah, correct. It actually was a, a fourplex. Yeah. And then it had a basement, and we um, converted the basement into two more units and lived in one of those units. Okay, cool. I want to still it, use a conventional loan to, to lock it up. So conventional loan right right out of school. So I want to take a step back, AJ, because I know you do a really good job about talking about financial literacy, and I'm wondering uh, uh, originally what. Um, you, you, you said you kind of fell into it, but it, we talked about bigger pockets a little bit, but at what point did you feel that you knew this coming out of school? Or you learned it while you were in school or what, what was that phase yeah. of like that, yeah. that switch of, okay, you know, this makes sense, or maybe it's not even as complicated as I'm making it right. sound, but what was if the process? I'm, yeah. If I'm honest about it, I, I, so I majored in real estate finance, Oh, nice. Uh, but I, I probably learned a little bit more from bigger pockets than I did from college coming out of the gates. I had one professor in college that was just really good at hammering. He always went, he'd always tell people, go buy a, go find your rich uncle and buy a 20 unit apartment complex in the worst neighborhood you can find. And then just pay it off and live in it. And like, you're going to be set. So he kind of pounded that in my head a little bit. And we learned cap rates and like the basic, nice. what I think of now as being the basics, you know, but I didn't really understand those things. You know, you can talk about a cap rate all day long. You don't understand that until you're like looking at, you know, hundreds of deals and everything starts to kind of making sense along the way. Yeah. So um, that's why I like the podcast form is you just get to listen to people that are ahead of you and using the tricks and, and all that stuff. So. Wow. No, no, that I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad uh, you, you mentioned that. And earlier we, we were talking about bigger pockets and, and one of my, uh, cause I'll get a lot of people, I'm sure just like you who will message me and DM me, Hey, I'm trying to get started. And I, one of the tests that I always say is like, find me on bigger pockets and and connect with me and if you don't then i know you're not willing to just connect with me because like once you're in it's like my invite it's like my guest invite to like you said a network where i will sell my first deal from a bigger pockets connection like i went to go you know sit down and we 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 grabbed dinner and i offered value and and it was just that so uh same with the masterminds and so i would really say anyone who's listening to it's it's free it's free information um and and i think it's just uh it's not by chance that AJ sit with us here and, and he did his due diligence to get educated. So good for you, man. You know, what's crazy about what you just, it's just, it continues to blow my mind is cause I get people hitting me on Instagram and other yeah. platforms all the time. Just saying, you know, I want to learn about real estate. I want to do this, blah, blah, but we do a meetup group and that I host a meetup group with this other kind of thing I'm working on. We do, you know, probably once every six weeks, people don't show up. Like people message me. I want to do real estate. I want to learn about this. But so this, it's so easy to just type it out. Oh, I want to buy a rent house. But to actually like, do anything, to just show up, you know, you, you're, you're past 80% of your competition. I but just that. literally like getting off your ass and coming to a, drink some beer with some guys that know what they're doing. It's just, it just blows my mind. It's hard for me to even believe sometimes, you know. I- and, and that's why I'm a huge fan of yours, too, and, and because uh, I've been looking at a lot of your content. One thing you're always preaching about is consistency, even in your, yeah. your, your message. And, and I, I think the good news is if you're listening, whether you're a novice investor or you're, you know, you're at, at, at scale, it, it's just if you consistently continue to do the compound effect by continuously learning, like people come to me like I'm, I'm still I'm a lot I'm a student of the game like I'm learning from you right now and I'm really right. excited just like the community is and that yeah. hasn't stopped and I'm sure uh, we'll get into that later where you're currently yeah. at today right. and, and see how you've kind of uh, you know take us maybe a step forward if from you started with a quad 
and now where are you at today? And well, I'm not so I, much focused on the number, but more about the process. Let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah, sure. So first off, what I want to talk about, so I started with that quad, and that was in January of 13, and it took me until December of 14, so basically two years, to buy my second deal. Wow. So that, I, people got to hear that, you know? Yeah. It took two years. Like, I had one deal, I live in it, it took two years. We saved my wife's entire salary. Uh, she was a teacher. I was doing sales. I was making 38 grand a year. That was, see, that was part of the, this part where I screwed up is everyone was telling me the real estate market was trash because it was, you know, we were coming out of away. So in college, the whole time I was in college, people were telling me the real estate market's falling apart. So I graduated. I was like, I'm going to get a sales job. I can do sales. So I, I kind of screwed up not jumping straight into real estate, even though I bought the quad career wise, I was doing sales. So I got a job in sales. I was making 38,000. My, my wife was a teacher with Dallas and making uh, probably like 48,000. So we lived on my money and we saved all her money. And it took us two years. So it's patience and consistency. And, and you know, that's another thing I talk about a lot is you have to be, you need to be, if you want to be a successful real estate investor that, that grows at any kind of um, decent rate, you need to be thinking about what saving 40% of your income looks like. If you're not, mm. if you're not at least thinking about that and having that conversation with, with yourself or your partner, uh, you know, that's, that's a very good starting place to at least have that conversation. And maybe it's not 40% for you. Maybe you come back and say, I'm going to 20%. Okay, so I want I want to touch on that because I love that yeah. conversation, right? Yeah. And and um, but before we even get away from that, that's gonna yeah. be the next thing. You mentioned two years, and actually, when you mentioned two years, actually, my mind was going at a different place, and I wasn't sure, sure if the list the listeners caught on to that. But when you said two years, do you look at that as part of the process, or that you wish you would have maybe done more? I guess where were it's you going? Process. With it, yeah. it was okay. part of the process. I was not raising money, and and. Mm -hmm. So everything was self-funded and the quad that we had bought, we had a pretty big renovation on over the years. So a lot of our funds were going to that. It, was, it just takes time to save the money to buy the next deal. Right. So now would you we, have done it the same way, AJ? Um, I would have learned how to use hard money a lot earlier. I had this huge hard money was repulsive to me when I first entered the real estate um, market. Cause you just hear negative things about it. And I would have learned how to use it. It's a tool. I'm not saying I'm not gonna say you should use it all the time, but it's a tool that you should know how to use. And I think if I'd known how to use it early on, or, or found someone else that had some money, you know, easy in 2020 vision, right? It was 2013. Oh, it's hindsight 2020. 2014, right? I mean, the market was going nuts. I should have bought everything I looked at, right? I should have been taking out credit card loans and buying deals. So easy to say that in retrospect. You know, I'm happy with I'm happy with how I, I did things and turned out. So I don't want to say. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but. no. And and I think where I'm going with this is I'm always about learning from practitioners and learning from 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 the people who right. step in the lab. That's where as practitioners. So I always like to think of you know, I think that question. It's never like oh I wish I would have done things this way because then it leads to something else. Right. But I think right, so, right, what right. lesson that I learned from that. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. You mentioned the tool. It's a good tool. I know people you know, uh, often in forums or they'll reach out and say, you know, or even have people reach out to me because I work with a lot of investors. I, I told you on bigger pockets, say I want to use hard money, but sometimes they don't know when's a good time. When would you say is a good time to use hard money and when is it not to? And, and I'll piggyback that question with a, you mentioned you got into a quiet, you were house hacking, you were living in it, if I'm correct. correct. 
would you then still consider using hard money in a case like that versus conventional? When does it make no, sense? No, yeah, no. You should always use conventional if it's an option. Hard money makes sense when you're buying a deal that can't qualify. So I could adopt deals sooner if I went and chased deals that were like all, which is what I chase now, deals that are like dogs, like horrible deals, deals mm-hmm. that you don't even want to walk in. If I had been chasing those and using hard money and using the burr, you know, buy, renovate, refinance method, I could have uh, probably amped up a little quicker. That being said, man, we got so lucky. You know, we just got, we bought in really good neighborhoods, really good times. And, and, uh, and I'd be, you know, lying to everyone if I didn't say that luck had a, a huge amount to do with uh, our success. Yeah, but, but but again, luck comes with action. So I'm glad you're you're talking about these processes and the journey. Right. Uh, yeah. w- one last thing before I, I go to the 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 less the the next point about the forty percent because I really love that topic. Yeah. You mentioned the burst strategy, and for those of us, you know, again, stay plugged with bigger pockets. I think bigger pockets right. got a brand that word. Uh, buy, renovate, yeah, rent, refinance. Right. <laughs> Every time we drop it, I swear, yeah. kitchen. Uh, I mean, honestly, if I had enough referrals, if I had an affiliate link of bigger pockets right now, yeah, yeah, I'd probably be easy to have bought another property for sure, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, but but talk about like let's talk about that for a second. It's sure. buy, renovate, rent, refinance. Am I correct? Yeah. So, if you're, can you talk about how you could leverage hard money with a burst strategy, or could you or not, or, or should you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you. I think if you got a good deal on your hands, you should do whatever it takes to get the deal done. And I've always said, if you find the right deal, the money's easy. I mean, the reality is if you find a knockout deal and you go to a small, hard money guy, they'll fund a hundred percent of it. If they look at it and they're like, Oh man, this thing is golden. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, gonna fund, they're gonna give you the money. Any, someone will give you the money. I'll okay. give you the money. DM me. I'll give you the money. If you find something awesome, like you can get the money. So, yeah. You know, I, I wish I'd had that attitude a little bit more, but you know, it's hard when you're starting, you, you don't have confidence in, uh, in the deals you look at. I look at deals and I would underwrite these real conservative rents and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, I was chasing 25, 35% cash on cash returns. It was like, you know, if I had to step back and be like, what is 25? That's, that's insane. Like no one's getting 30% returns. So I was limiting my pool of deals to just these like few. Now I'm a fan of like, do more deals, right? Yeah. Don't. I still want a good return. I'm still chasing healthy cash flow, but you know, yeah, would, that makes sense. No, it does. Does on a, on a more tactical note though, because I like people. You know, I don't. I, I want to make sure in the lab we get like practical information. So I think where I was getting at with that, just to go a little bit deeper yeah. on the Burr strategy and hard money, is it that you would buy with the hard money and then yes. you would find a tenant to then still be able to cover that overhead that you no. have with those points? No, 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 no. Exactly. No. So yeah. I, I want to yeah. take I want you, you to take a step back because people yeah. might hear that and, and say, yeah. wait, hold on. So I'm gonna I'm, when am I, when do I pay back the hard money? Right at yeah. what point? Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear yeah. talk about that. So yeah. I, you, this is how you should do it. You find a great deal. You get the money, whether it's hard money, whether it's your rich uncle, whether it's you know someone on bigger pockets, you get the money. You buy the deal. You want to get out of that high interest as soon as possible. Exactly. So you want to get into conventional. You, you can do 10 conventional loans, and then if you have a partner or spouse, you can do 10 more. So that's an important, uh, by the way, just to slip this in here. Don't both go on the loan. When you're, getting, when you're buying a house at the beginning, 
don't you and your spouse or you and your partner both go on the loan. You want to do just one of you on the loan because it'll lock up your, uh, you'll lock up too many of your loans. And we're, we're into that. And we're into that. And I use all mine. My wife's into hers. And, you know, it's, and you want to have those. That's that a good problem. Sweet debt. I mean, that is, mm, that is good debt. You know, four yeah. and a half, four percent interest, 30 year fixed rate, no balloon. God, man, I wish I could have that all day long. Right, right, and and so so when you're saying that to to someone who's saying hey, they're hearing hard money, how do I get out of it? And then rent. I think that's what I want to hear. The the part that I want you to bring home. How do you how do they get out of the how, how do they how do they get out of the hard money and then find someone to rent? If I want to use hard money yeah. with the yeah, so strategy. you find a trashy deal, you buy it with your with whoever's money, a hard money loan. You fix it up enough where it's A, going to be rent ready, and B, going to qualify for a loan, a conventional loan. So once it's, you don't actually have to lease it, BTW. We, we, we actually do our refinances lots of times vacant because we want them to appraise as high as possible. And you get some tenant that just moved in, and then you go for the refi, and the appraisers you know, might appraise it a little bit low because it looks dumpy because it's almost got their crap laying all over the place. So we actually try and slide the appraisal in right before it's leased, or maybe we have a, a pre-signed lease but the tenant hasn't moved in. We actually did two appraisals today. I mean, that's, and both of them we did that on, uh, vacant, vacant um, appraisals. Okay, that's fantastic. Okay, great. Thank you for bringing that home. Now, now I want to go back to that point of, okay, so how do we even put ourselves in that position the way, you know, you may have put yourself in the position or the way a lot of the, the investors that come into this lab. I know you, I've seen this recently in your post and I want to bring that home because we don't talk about that enough the 40% saving 40% of your own money. So when did you find that to be the most critical? Was that, you know, hindsight's 2020? Is that something you always went into? You know, what were you doing during those two years? You want to talk about that a little bit more and yeah, bring sure. some light to the people as to why that's yeah. so important? So I just did it. We did it from the beginning. The whole, the whole process for me is I wanted to buy real estate. And at the time, I didn't know any other way to get money outside of earning it and saving it. So that's what we did. We saved a bunch of our money and then we bought more deals. And uh, now I look at it and I see other people struggling. And so we don't, there's a little side note, but I'm bringing back around. We do a lot of affordable housing. We have people, you know, applying for apartments where they got $1,400. They're making 1400 bucks a month and they're making it. And then I talked to my buddy who's making $5,500 a month and he's like, I can't, I can't save 40%. There's no way. I'm like, there is a way. You can save 40%. People, people use the word can't too loosely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, for sure. And honestly, I think the biggest thing is it goes back to financial literacy and it talks about financials, right? Like we, we, we use financials to evaluate properties, but I don't think a lot of us are using financials to evaluate our current like general ledger like right. you should know what's coming in and out of yeah. your of your of your bank account um because that's the only thing that's the only way you'll be able to track like you should know to the very t like what your expenses are monthly and um again i'm a huge fan of set for life i think it was scott strange is that is that what it is that's a really good book for for those of you yeah. guys bigger but I think another you know note on the savings is and I was, you know, my dad didn't know anything about money, but he somehow was interested in compound interest and showed me a, one of the compound interest calculators when I was young. And a lot of my entire business model is now based on, on this idea of when you invest money, it, it's creating more money. So yeah. I think if people were taught that from a younger age, uh, when you 
when you save money, it becomes income. If, if people, if you were told that for every hundred dollars you save, you get twenty dollars a year, it would just everyone would be saving a lot more because it would be like, oh, I don't have to get a raise. I can just save twenty percent of my income and then get a five percent raise because I saved twenty percent of my income. If people had more of that mindset, it's a little bit hard to wrap your brain around sometimes. I think for people, but if we were taught about um, investing as income instead of investing as put your money in the stock market, touch it when you're 65. It would be a totally different conversation. I it think. is. Um, it is. And I find it so interesting because, yeah, I know you mentioned that like money is like farmers. I know you, you put that in one of your recent posts. And, and I think yep. it's that's what uh, I think another person, I think was it MJ DeMarco, I think he was talking about how, you know, every dollar is going to work for you, right? It's kind of like right. a soldier for your army yeah. that you got to put yeah. to work, which is right. uh, essentially what i find fascinating with the house hacking is it's it's kind of you mentioned it earlier right it's if you can eliminate that one expense the most expensive expense to the average of 38 percent of your income of the average person income goes to housing if you can eliminate that then you you're saving 40 percent that's it wow that's a raise right there (laughs) that's a raise that you've never gotten right yeah Uh, that's a fact so Oh man, that's that's awesome. So right now, in this, uh, you're, you're, I want to talk about your transition because you started with a quad, uh, mm-hmm. and you started to to go for these really raw raw deals. It sounds like that you 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 want to basically do a lot of value out of it. I've been seeing some of your stuff. Is that still the play for you? And and uh, people are going to ask the second question. They're going to ask, how are you finding these deals? Is it by yourself? Are you working with a team? Are you? Is it a realtor? Want to talk yeah. about that? Yeah. So two things. First off, we are still buying the singles, duplexes, and that's what I, obviously they're smaller deals, so we're doing a lot of them. So I, you see that a lot on, on my Instagram and, and whatnot. But we also are buying apartment complexes and we're in a contract on a storage deal. We have an office building, a small office building. We're gonna get another small office building. So we're buying, it's not about the asset type for me, it's about the return. And that comes back to that compound interest conversation. If you just, um, if you look at that and I really like play with that compound calculator, I mean, here's a good example. Say I, you know, say I had $5 million today. Mm-hmm. If I say that, and I'm 31, so 34, I'll be 65. So 34 years at 15% is like 650 million or something like that. I can't remember, 630 million. The same, that same amount of years at 20% is 2.7 billion. So that 5% changes everything. So your threshold for return is, is paramount. So when I'm looking at property types, yeah, I'm looking at commercial, I'm looking at single families, multifamilies, everything. Um, we have basically a little division that is doing buying single family kind of uh, duplex. We, we really buy a lot of single family duplex or single family with a garage apartment or something like that. It's hard to make a single family in Dallas work as a rental. Really, saying <clears throat> so. So you're you're more uh, looking at the duplex, triplexes, quads, in addition to larger scale. Because I'm looking at some of your stuff, and you're showing like, and and this is a, uh, probably a great segue. You're you're looking at some crazy returns sometimes, like way, you know. You talk about the one percent rule, but you're 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 getting way more than that. So, do you want to talk about that as well as as to? Yeah. So first off, I, I want to tag on the one percent rule, and yeah. I need to get better about communicating this. Mm-hmm. The one percent rule is is almost garbage. Like it's it's the worst deal you want to do is a one percent deal. If we're doing a one percent deal, 
it's completely stabilized, completely renovated in an, in a market that we really like and feel like it's going to appreciate. That's the only way I ever do one percent. In fact, I've only ever done one deal, and it still was a little bit better than one percent. Yeah. So just just to bring that home is is AJ is talking about he's getting better than one percent real. That's like the worst case scenario. Am I right? Yes, that's correct. That's yeah. the hack stuff. So when someone breaks, that's why I'm like, it's, and then I say that stuff, and then people still bring me deals that are like, you know, two hundred thousand dollars and rent for fifteen hundred bucks a month. I'm like, <laughs> no, like that's not it. That's not that's not a good deal. So that's the backstop. If you're buying deals that are uh, past the one percent rule, I would wager to say over the long term, you lose money on that deal. From a cash flow standpoint, you might, you know, the appreciation might save you, but from a cash flow standpoint. You're going to lose money if you're buying worse than the 1% deal. So that's interesting because I think we've always heard it. And I think where I first originally heard of this rule was from Bigger Pockets. And I think it all matters where you are and what kind of return right, you what market get you're and in. what market you're in and what kind of properties you're going for, too, right? The higher so, the rents, the better it becomes because your maintenance are the same, right? Your maintenance is the same on a $30,000 house as it is on a $300,000 house. So there are some fixed expenses. So the more expensive the property becomes, so you get to California or something, or you got some like crazy, you know, four thousand dollar rents and stuff. Yeah, maybe the one percent rule makes some more sense. But also worth noting, bigger pockets who does talk about the one percent rule a lot. When I started in two thousand thirteen, they were talking about the two percent rule. That was the big conversation. They were always everyone was talking about the two percent rule, and then somewhere along the way, it was like. <laughs> People got desperate. It was like one and a half percent, one point two five, one percent, and I'm like, you know, people are gonna be talking about the half percent rule soon. That's my opinion. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, I think I don't know who is it, who. One of the hosts is. I don't know if it's Brandon. Is it Brandon or whatever? Who's from Colorado? And that maybe that's part of it, right? Because that, yeah, that market. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, right? It's like which different um, depends on your asset class, right? And 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 you, yeah. it, again, what I really like that you brought home. It sounded like if you're gonna go from class d and you're going to do some value you better be getting some crazy returns on the, yeah. on the upside right i mean is, right. is that correct absolutely yeah if, if i'm buying a class d value add i'm looking for two plus percent or two percent rule plus even better i would never buy a class d deal that didn't yeah but we have some class d deals so i can talk about yeah. that but that's interesting so so bring it home a little bit i guess based on the storage the office the 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 single family which which one and you mentioned your numbers guys so there's no emotions there and i like it you always say do the math you got uh, so if we're doing doing yeah. the math with you yeah. aj do you have one that you feel like an asset class or or a type of asset that you feel is is you're more open to than 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 the other if the, let's say the numbers are are the same, actually, the that's, that's are the same. Yeah. If the numbers were the same, I'd want a class A triple triple nets retail lease, which I I don't own any of them because the mm. cap be like a full four cap on that. But you know, you want some that's low maintenance um, if all the returns were the same, but they're not the same, right? So like the storage deal, we're on a contract on, we don't own it yet, we're about to close on it. It's a high return deal, but it's a high risk. It's a huge value add, fifty percent vacant currently, built in the nineteen seventies. Easements going all through the property. I mean, it's complicated. It's a complicated deal. So, yeah, the return is good because it's high risk. You know, that's the old uh, economic law, right? The risk and return. There's a connection there. So, okay, uh, that's. But but in general, if I if I had to answer your question in a short way, I like residential. You know, I think uh, Rick Jarman's the one that says you either live you own a house, rent a house, or you're living under a bridge. So, yeah, gotta live somewhere. That's not changing, you know. 
Gotcha. I like the residential. So, so what's your take on, because you're, you're, you're an interesting guy because you have a lot of different types of real estate and, and it seems like you're very focused on the numbers, which is fantastic. But I guess, what would you, uh, what would you say on the economies of scale? Because we have a lot of people coming to lab who are in the multifamily space and I know it's hot right now and, yeah. and a lot of people are talking about, I mean, it's always been there. It's not going anywhere. But I guess you who, who has, you know, you know, multifamily apartment, single family, I guess, do you want to talk about the pros and cons if you see yeah. any, or is it just strictly numbers? Like what are your, what would you yeah. tell someone? So, uh, so about my those? question for people on that, that want it. And I know a lot of people, man, I've heard so many people 2020, my goal is to buy my first multifamily or whatever. My question is why, like, why do you want to buy the multifamily? Is it because you think you can get a higher return? Is it because uh, you can, you know, deploy more capital at once? Like why is it that you want the multifamily? Hmm. And I think that's where the question starts um, there's both have advantages, right? And those are the, you know, the advantage to multifamily is you can deploy a lot of capital at once. Uh, the disadvantage is the debt's not near as good, right? Unless you're getting a great, stabilized, awesome multifamily, which you're going to buy at some crazy, stupid low cap rate and with zero cash flow, then you're going to get like 20, maybe 25 year AM with a five year balloon, five and a half, 6% interest. It's just not that good. Compared to a single family, which you can go get 30 year fixed rate mortgage. The single family, also the advantage is I can buy a single family that's trash, fix it in three months, rent it, refinance it, and recycle that capital, right? And that's a kind of a complicated concept, but you're recycling the money, right? So if I can, if I can uh, burr or you know, buy and renovate and refinance a house three times in one year, I can deploy that capital three times. Mm. The apartment deal, they're much more strict about how long is it been stabilized? Can you show me a P&L for 12 months before they want to do a refinance? So your money's stuck in that deal for you know, 12, 18 months minimum before you're going to be able to refinance it out. Now, the commercial guys invented Burr before bigger pockets existed. They've been doing that forever. So you can do that. That is, it's the same strategy when you go buy apartments. Um, but it, it, I just think it's really important to ask why I follow the return. If, if I can get a good return in multifamily, I'll buy it. If I can get a good return in a uh, single family, I'll buy it. I got both. If I can get storage, I'll buy that. You know, I don't like offers to retail too much because I think they're going to be vacant, but unless you get a triple, uh, uh, you know, class A triple at least on the retail. So that's interesting because I don't really hear too too many folks talk about the, and I'm glad I asked the question because I, again, that's why I have you in the show on the show right now because you can kind of speak on both, uh, but you, you don't really hear too much about the liquidity of it, right? Of like, yeah, okay, sure. like you said, like you can put your money to work three times versus on the apartment side, it's kind of tied up because of right. just like you said, yeah. I got to see the rent roll, the, the PNLs. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. But would you say that the economies of scale, and I'm just thinking out loud here, I'm, I'm yeah. really thinking about what you're saying. This makes a lot of sense. Like you're thinking from your numbers perspective that you're better off getting your money, being more liquid on the single family side and continuing to scale that way. And, the economies of scale of, of on the apartment side, depending on, I guess the apartment wouldn't necessarily be as, as great, but I guess like you said, okay, that's interesting. Cause it's all about what you're in it for. Like if you yeah. want to be more liquid, you want cash flow, you want to be able to pull money out, then do the single family. If not, if you're doing, you know, you're willing to sit on it, do some value add. It sounds like on the apartment side, one which is one of the many things that you could use that you'd be just as well off as well. 
I mean, did Correct. I? Yeah. Okay. I mean, kind of. I want to. I want to control as much real estate as possible. Yeah. If, if you, I love cash flow. I love love cash flow. We have a great relationship. But <laughs> the where I've made more money than anywhere is appreciation. And how you get appreciation is controlling as much real estate as possible, right? We control 13 million ish in real estate or something. Mm -hmm. So if I get 2% appreciation on that, it's still an incredible return, right? right? So it's partially about controlling a lot. So when you're able to recycle that money multiple times in a year, I don't want to get, I'm a math geek, so I'm going to hold them tight here. But <laughs> say, say you're buying with 80% down with hard money, I and mean, you yeah. have $20,000. And you recycle your twenty thousand dollars three times in one year on a hundred thousand dollar house because you're doing eighty percent LTV. You're buying it with twenty thousand, using hard money. Blah, blah, blah. You get it? Following? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm following. So you now own three hundred thousand dollars in real estate in real estate because mm -hmm. you recycled three times, and that's assuming it didn't go up more. You know, theoretically, it's gone up, right? You created value somewhere in there, right? You take that twenty thousand dollars and you throw it in an apartment complex and you own one percent of some tiny deal that you can only do one time. You're gonna own. Less. You're gonna own a hundred. You're gonna own a hundred thousand dollars worth of real estate with the apartment deal, in compared to three hundred thousand dollars in one year. Does that make sense? No, no. That's that's really. It, it's a complicated idea, yeah. and and you also have to be able to act very quickly to recycle that money. That's a that's a big ask. Yeah. To, to do three deals in one year with the same money, you know, that involves a lot of yeah. uh, you being pretty quick. Well, it goes back to your your entire thesis about like putting your money to work for you. Like you're right. literally those the farmers, right? Like the right. money, the opportunity cost, and the leverage. I mean, I think that pretty much like really sums up well of like what you're about and yeah. why you're always doing the math. That's really right. when you're not raising money, you have to ask these questions. You know, there's a there's a fork in the road somewhere along your investing career where you decide if you're going to syndicate money or if you're not going to syndicate money, and Personally, like, if I'm really honest with myself, I got authority issues, and that's why I got into real estate in the first place. I don't want to answer to anybody. So right. syndicating money has never really been super appealing. I'm not saying I'm not going to do it. In fact, we, we've talked about it. But it's never been that appealing to me because I don't like answering to anyone. If I want to go, like, screw around all afternoon, I don't want some investor being mad that they saw me on Instagram skateboarding, right? <laughs> because I'm supposed to be, like, make, working for their money. So, you know... There's a fork in the road for people when they get to a certain size, they make that decision. I, I personally believe if you're a dedicated investor and you start, you know, started young enough, you still got a chance to make a, a huge fortune without syndicating money. That's the math tells me. That. The math. Yeah, no, th this reminds me of a gentleman I met at a recent meetup who was, I think he was 60, was he 64? But he started investing residential at 51. And yeah. he had over 300 residential. And yeah. this is in uh, Atlanta there in Fayetteville, Georgia. Shout out to Fayetteville. But I was like, that's, that's, that's interesting because it's all about the tool that you're using. And I think what's fascinating for us, uh, a lot of our communities, there's a lot of millennials. Oh, shout out to the millennials taking over the podcast right now. Yeah. But, and, and you talk about that a lot, right? The timing of it and the compound. And, and it, you're going to have to drop us a link for the compound cal uh, calculator because uh, yeah. I want to make sure that everybody is, is starts using it because I think it's really nice that you're able to really like really bring those numbers out and put it into perspective. Like, okay, cool. Like uh, these are the kind of returns I can expect on, on, on a long term. Um, right. That's, that's it, creates really a it creates a roadmap. Roadmap. Yeah. And, and also I think that there's a, 
you know, with, with the, the turn of the new decade here, I think it's important to talk about goal setting because I see a lot of these people saying, oh, my goal is to do this or that. That should be part of your goal, right? So if I have 5 million or 10 million in net worth and I say, hey, I'm, my, my expectation is a 20% return on my money, then my expectation should be a one or $2 million, you know, if it was five or 10, say it's 10, you know, $2 million increase in net worth the next yeah. year. That's the goal. Now you can determine how am I going to get there? Now it's time to make a plan. But the goal should be based on math. When some random person comes, oh, I'm going to own 200 units this year. What do you have now? Well, I got a duplex. Well, you haven't done the math, obviously. If you did the math, you'd know that that's uh, likely impossible unless you're going to, you know, some place where you, you can buy units for the cheap places still, but, you know, most likely yeah. impossible. Yeah. Right? So would you advise people to... How, how, if someone says is in here with us and say, okay, AJ, listen, man, this sounds great, but you know, how do I, how do I start doing the math? Where do, where do I start? I know that sounds like a very simple question, but it's, it really is. I think people need to ask us that question. Where do they start with their personal finances with where they're currently at? Where do I start? Uh, I mean, I think the, the very, very basics is you start by creating a budget and saving as much money as possible. And, and that's the very, very beginning. When you get, $5,000, it's time to go. It's time to make action. But if you don't even got $5,000 for your name, the first step is saving. Once you got 5,000 bucks, then it's go find a duplex and house hack or quadplex and house hack. You can do it with $5,000. You can go find a quadplex and house hack in, in most markets outside of uh, maybe the West Coast. So, yeah. you know, but the first, if you don't have $5,000, that's the first step. And it's also important to recognize that if you, if you have $5,000, but you got some dead end job, that you get paid 10 bucks an hour, you're going to have to get a co-signer. So you better, you know, fix your relationship with your, your parents or your uncle or whoever's going to sign on that note with you. Um, because you're going to have to have income to prove that to, to qualify for the loan also. Definitely. Definitely, man. All right. That's awesome, man. Great. So, so in the keeping it real section here, what's a, what's a, uh, the biggest misconception that, that people, uh, that you think people have in their life or, or business, AJ? About real estate or just in general? Well, I, it's funny you say that because here I, I always feel that you're a reflection. Well, how you do real estate is probably a reflection of who you are. So that's actually an interesting question. I, I feel like whatever you have right now projects in your business. So that's just my, my take. But yeah, you can right. answer how you feel. Well, I mean, I think people's biggest mi misconception is they've fallen victim to the world's marketing and publicity and everything else. So they think something's normal that's not normal. They think it's normal to graduate college and live just like their parents did, right? Like, they, they think it's normal to graduate college and their life's going to start where they saw their parents' life ending, you know? They think it's normal to go, you know, have a big house, get married and go buy a three-bedroom house. Well, why not? Why? Who taught you that was normal? You know, I, I think a lot of, that's a lot of my question for society is like, who taught us that that's, this is the way we should be doing it? I, I don't know. I, I think it really is marketing, TV, whatever. I don't know. I think we, somewhere along the way, this is what we saw. Yeah. We repeated it. I think that's silly. I mean, I, I think if people could just back up and say, hey, let's, you know, I'm going to live with my parents. I'm going to graduate college. I'm going to move back home and I'm going to make my college job. I'm like $60,000 a year. And I'm going to save 50 of it. Why is that not home? Yeah. I don't know. So I, I think that's people's biggest uh, mistake in terms of a misconception. Um, I think speed, you know, it's a slogan. It's a get rich slow scheme. I've said it forever. You know, it's, it's, you know, are you saying, are you saying you think that's a misconception or you think that's a fact? I think it's a misconception. I, I don't think it's fast. Right. I think that people believe you can get in 
in any kind of business and then turn around and, you know, have a bunch of money in a second, be driving that car and living in that mansion or blah, blah, blah. That's not true. Listen, we got a bunch of rentals and still from a cash flow perspective, you know, we're not making bukus. I'm not making a million dollars a year in cash flow, right? I got a ton of rentals. I'm not making, you know, so I think people have this idea that, you know, I'm going to make all this money with this real estate game and you might create a lot of net worth and you're creating value. But when it comes to residual passive income, it's a slow, it's a slow process. So in other words, do, do, it goes back to your core value. Do the math, do the math. The math yeah. 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 And, and I know you talk about that in the, you know, uh, your, your 40 and 50% rule and, and yeah. talking about really factoring that into your numbers. Right. Uh, not yeah. You know, I think you called it expense performance, which I've never heard before. Which I thought yeah. was fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's awesome. What do you think is the best advice you you've you've ever received, or you've ever even picked up from from your your experience? Um, I, I don't know. If I can say best advice. Um, I think something I've implemented a lot this year. I think it's the old uh, Marine saying: "Is uh, slow is smooth, and smooth is fast." Mm-hmm. Uh, I've implemented that a lot this year and saying, I'm not going to make decisions, you know, on the, on the fly. I'm going to really take back up, slow down. Don't push me. I'm going to buy the deal. I want to buy the deal. Don't tell me I got to put on the contract in 30 minutes. I know that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I slowed down a lot of some of those decision-making makes you a happier person too. It turns out. So that, that's been good advice. Also just people, uh, I was lucky to be encouraged in my boldness and my, I'm, I, yeah. I have a very high risk tolerance and I was encouraged to kind of embrace that and yeah. uh, it's paid dividends. So, you know, I think that's, that's another part of good advice I've been given. That's awesome. You, would you say there's a specific person uh, in, in your life uh, or, or someone that you've been, um, you know, inspired by or, or, or something that, that helped you kind of get that mindset? I mean, I think my, my, one of my college professors, Dr. Bain, shout out UNT, uh, yes, sir. a lot of that. Um, he was good. And in general, I believe in being mentored by your peers. So I have a huge community of other guys doing yes, sir. what I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know. Mastermind, mastermind. That's really, yeah. that's one of the, I think one of my biggest core values as well is yeah. always surrounding yourself with people who are, are right. really kind of expanding and who are encouraging of your expansion as well. Right. I think that's, that's yeah. a big deal, man. Uh, that's awesome man cool cool okay cool so we got the rapid fire questions right now man i want to hear a little bit about aj his background you must be some you must be a reader i assume so do you have a favorite book or even a favorite podcast what do you got for me it's funny you say that because actually i'm chronically dyslexic can't read can barely read i can read a little bit now but my spelling is still garbage and uh that's why I find it very funny because the real estate community loves books. I mean, we right. I read 60, 70 books a year. I'm like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> but, you read, but, you read, but you read financials, though. That's the thing. I, I read the numbers, <laughs> and I like the math. Yeah. math so, uh, I don't read the bigger pockets was hugely, you know, influential. It was, you know, that's another part of the luck I talk about. It's just luck. I bought my first property in January 13. And Brandon and Josh started the podcast in January 2013. I mean, I learned a lot through that. A lot through through, through listening to the podcast, right? Listening to the podcast, yeah. So yeah, I, I a great podcast for. They kind of, 
for me, I liked it better when they were interviewing like a bunch of grassroots guys that were like, yeah. I just got my first duplex. I'm pumped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 They stop doing like celebrities and stuff. I'm like, no one wants to hear Grant Cardone about this. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I hear that. So no, I want I want to bring that home because uh, we have a, a section that's you know favorite books, uh, and mm -hmm. I think what's really the, I want to I want to take this as a learning lesson for everyone. Like, you, you know, you're saying you didn't let that stop you from learning, and you find a way to just just a lot of people say like sometimes people say hey I don't read okay great do you do Audible like or do yeah. you you know podcast like there's just so yeah. much. Uh, uh, um, I guess out there that you can use to leverage or maybe you don't even do all those things because you don't even listen or have time but you go out there to those meetups we were talking about right, yeah. right? like you just soak yourself in peer, you know from my peers I yeah. will say the one thing that I think the readers have to be careful about is it can create analysis paralysis I think 100%, 100%. they get into their stuff they get into that listen I've never read a book on real estate never. yeah I mean, it's funny you, you brought up Grant Cardone because he's never read a book about real estate either. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think, I think what we're, you know, it's, that's, there's enough to be said there about yeah. you know, being a true practitioner, you know, yeah. getting your, you know, rolling up your sleeves and doing a damn thing, man. So and also I wanted to say, it, this is not that complicated. It's yeah. just not, you know, there's a lot of great books, a lot of great tips, a lot of great strategies, and they're all worth learning along the way. But at the end of the day, it's not that complicated to buy a fourplex and live in it. It's not that complicated to buy a rent house that beats the 1% rule. If you buy a good deal, it is really hard to screw it up. I mean, yeah. that's when you buy a great deal, it's hard to mess it up. You can be an idiot and it's still going to make you money. So, <laughs> bad, the most of things, don't buy a bad deal. Find something that's going to cash flow and pay you every month. That's right. Uh, what do you think is the best uh, habit that serves you every day, AJ? Yeah, um, that's a good question. You know, I kind of hit on this earlier with the meetup groups, but just the uh, the the habit of executing, of just doing it, like actually just doing it. Like, okay, my bill, my bills due, I'll pay it. My car is registration behind, I'll fix it. My, you know, this. I, I think people somewhere along the way dropped the ball on just being able to complete something. Yeah, and yeah. Mow your own lawn and, and keep your house clean. You shouldn't buy rentals. <laughs> you're not ready. <laughs> you're not ready. No. So I, I, and that was that didn't come natural to me, by the way. I had to really, really work on that to be able to say, hey, I'm just going to, I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it. I'd love to sit around and watch Netflix, but I'm just going to do it right now. I'm just going right. to take care of it. It's going to be behind me. Um, so I'd encourage people that habits can be made. And then also another, another really important habit for me was uh, because I was dyslexic and I had some weaknesses coming out of the gate, I think. It was just diving into what you're really good at. Yeah. Looking what you're good at and what brings results, you know. Uh, and uh, that's, I think, crucial. That's 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 a really good man. I'm glad I'm glad you uh, you brought that home because uh, uh, I think it's it's always progressive, like you said. It's always progressively you're learning, you're getting better at it, and and that's uh, that's that's needed for sure, man. Yeah. Uh, listen, I asked you this question. I want to hear the, the uh, earlier, and I want you to touch on this. So rapid fire question, one 300 unit apartment building or three apartments of a hundred units? Uh, um, so one 300 unit apartment complex. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, it's just efficiency and management. I think. Yeah. Put a main sky on site, put a leasing house on site. Yeah. I mean, you can see it. by the way, it depends. The answer is almost always, it depends, but yeah, all, all things remaining equal. It's uh, 
you know, I think the 300 unit deal. Well, I have to ask why, because you asked, you know, if an investor wants an apartment, you would ask them why. So I have to ask you why, man. I have to bring it. Anyway, oh, you said, I'm sorry, back up. You said one. One, one 300 unit apartment building or three apartments of 100 units. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I still choose a 300. If it yeah. was 300 houses yeah. or a 300 unit apartment complex, I choose the houses. Really? Okay, yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad we got that in there. The houses were um, of equal value. Like, say you got $100,000 units and $100,000 houses. I choose the houses all day long. Yeah, for sure. Because this is important. This is, yeah. a, and this comes back to, uh, you know, first off, you can completely game the system on appraising houses because a house is appraised on comps. But if you want to do an income approach, you can kind of push them and be like, hey, look, like the rents are here, blah, blah, blah. You can push the appraiser a little more to get them where you want them. So the burr becomes much easier. Really? Single family. And then if you do end up selling them, you got two outs, right? You can sell it on a cap rate or you can sell it to, you know, uh, someone's first first house they're going to buy out of college or whatever. So you have two exits and the valuation on emotion it becomes like who knows, right? So I might have a I might have a house that sell that I would sell at a seven cap, but maybe Billy just graduated college and loves it and he doesn't even know what a seven cap means because he majored in philosophy and he says, well, I'm gonna yeah I'll buy the house for four hundred thousand dollars and that would have been a two cap, right? So the valuation can be different depending on what angle you're looking at it from. So that's why I said, that's, that's another reason I like single families better in some ways. So you're not even looking at the appraiser as, as, a, as a limitation. You're more looking at it as a, as a, as a friend, as a partner on this. That's a, yeah, look, interesting. look, I don't get a deal. So we went and did an appraisal today and I bring the comps. I say, hey, these are the comps that I think are appropriate. Um, this is why I think they're appropriate. And, um, and this is before this is beforehand, right? No, no, this is at, at the appraisal, at the actual appraisal. Yeah, before the appraisal, before he does the pictures and stuff. Yeah, I'll that's say interesting. So is that is that one of your hacks, or you you would say, or because I, I don't, I'm not know that all investors do that. I I, I don't. Well, know. all of them should do it because listen, yeah. when you get that cash out, mm-hmm. man, that's that's half the game. If I can buy, you know, if you can get more than just the cash you put in out, and here's what happens: most time you kind of get right around what you put in back. And then once in a blue moon, the appraiser appraises super high. You did a really good job. You found a great deal. I don't know. Something happens. And then they give you like an extra 70 or something out of it. Well, now you're cooking with a stick of dynamite. The, the deal might not cash flow that much anymore, but it doesn't matter because you're paying 4.5% interest on it. And you're going to go deploy the money at 10% interest or at 12% or 15% cash on cash return. So you're getting that spread between the debt and the what you deploy to that, right? So yeah. I don't I got I got a couple deals that are cash flow negative, but I took the cash from the burr from the refinance and I bought an apartment complex with it or a storage deal with it or whatever. So we started with, you know, I I talked about this is actually important to know, right? So we we bought a we started with like uh, I think twenty thousand ish. My wife actually sold. She was into the horseback riding dressage. She sold a horse and got us an extra fifteen. So we got this fourplex um with that money and then we we put her out her salary away for two years and maybe two and a half years three years and then we never put any other money into the business ever again the all that's it so whatever it was by 100 we probably put 150 ish into it or something all the rest of it has just been the burr refinance cash flow whatever like and we have you know whatever 182 doors or something now 
So we essentially bought 180 doors with 150 grand. I mean that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's and, like, and, uh, and it makes sense now because of how you're always thinking about putting your, taking your money out and putting it to work. Like this, I think we don't even talk about this enough. And this is why this is going to be fascinating for a community because, you know, again, you talked about it in the beginning, you know, what we're being fed, what we want sometimes, what we hear. But we're, right now we got a practitioner in the lab who's not listening to what he hears. He's looking at the numbers right. uh, and, and the liquidity. And I'm really glad you really honed in on that and that made that like really the, the core of this conversation because we don't I, I haven't heard of that i mean I'm, I'm surrounded by a bunch of multi-family guys what do i know right um so so <laughs> so this is the, the, that was dope man like oh that, that was really good like you really brought that home for me and i'm and, and that's that i think it's really important to think about what you said the why yeah. um and and um man so th- this was awesome man so Listen, where can the f- people find out more about you and, and what do you want to get from this as a call to action? Because I, I surefully want to bring people your way and, and yeah, continue. Sure. I, I think you're doing a really good job of education, uh, educating the community. Clearly, you're, you're, you're probably on bigger pockets from our conversation, but where else can folks find out more about yeah, you? Yeah, the, the, really the best place to connect with me is Instagram. Um, you know, Facebook's fine too, but Instagram is where I post uh, a lot of what I'm doing in the business and stuff. And I think my call to action be specifically if you're in Dallas, um, we do these meetups and they're freaking great. You know, yeah. I've got I just two, two deal off last meeting, two different guys closed deals off the off the last meeting. Yes, sir. Me too. Yeah, so. And guess where I started from? Bigger pockets, man. That's why I po- posted my first uh, meetup. Yeah, a, we're doing a. This is a new concept, and people are going to steal it after I share it on here, but it's okay. It, we're doing a co-working space designed specifically for real estate people. Nice. And so we're trying to get that, – that, that meetup is connected to that co-working. We'll open it next month with that. So it's uh, – and the idea is basically bringing these people together on a daily basis. How does that change things? And, and we're, we're trying to get the uh, – a lot of the consultants kind of carry the heavy lifting on the money side because – they're getting the title companies, mortgage people. They're getting the money out of it too, wholesale. Nice. nice. It's a cool community, and I will see how, we'll see in a year if it's successful or not from a networking standpoint. Yeah, definitely. Well, what you should do is definitely uh, send me the, the – we'll include that in the show notes because I want to make sure that people are listening. If they're you know, from Dallas, uh, in, in, um, I think they'll be very, very, um, very helpful and – yeah, and resourceful for them. So, man, thank you, thank you, thank you. AJ Ramler was in the building. Drop some bombs, drop some knowledge, and man, you guys make sure you check him out. So, where can we find you again? Uh, social media. What are, What are your handles? Uh, make sure we. AJ Ramler. AJ Ramler. AJ Ramler. Yeah. And just like that, you drop knowledge. You came, we saw, we conquered. Thank you, AJ, for coming through. And thank just like you. that, we are out. If you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, a contractor, you name it, and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time, at Invested Talent, we help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show and your own host, Ruben Kanya, and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, Social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right. Our reputation, opportunities, partnerships, and most importantly, real estate transactions were started directly from social media. If you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform, invested talent can help. 
simply go to investedtalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team. Again, that's investedtalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team. You focus on being the brand and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app. From the show's page, scroll all the way down and leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most. Remember, there's a you and I in build. Let's build, y'all.